Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. On my left, I have my partner in crime, Neil Kulong. What's happening, Neil? Plenty, Lance. Plenty. But I think uh, the main point here is uh, the aftermath of yet another addition to the game that we will have for a show uh, later on this year titled which was the worst Steelers game of 2021? And I believe we have five candidates for that now, legitimate okay. candidates. Yeah, we do a poll for that. That that that'll be very interesting uh, because <laughs> there there are definitely uh, quite a few. But before we hop into that, if you want to participate and get involved with the program and follow the program, we have multiple ways. I think I'm going to tr- to try to push the podcast side of it a little bit more going into the 2022 season. So if you want to join the show via podcast, uh, we are available on Apple Music. Uh, We are also available on Google, Spotify, or any particular uh, podcast platform. And uh, for some reason, Neil has hopped off, but I'm sure Neil will hop hop back on pretty shortly. Also, if you want to catch the show live, Um, The best way to catch it, of course, is to go to the YouTube channel and do a search for Lance Williams and or Neil Kulong and the New Standard or some combination of Pittsburgh and uh, big up to Neil in the background with the Minnesota North Stars beanie. And before we got on the program, we were talking a little bit about uh, hockey and uh, congratulations to you, Neil, on the move. I'm glad you, it, it came out safely and you're all in one piece. So hopefully you had a nice Christmas. I did. And hopefully everybody out there listening to the program had a nice Christmas. But let's jump into this program. And before we do, let me give you the title of the program. Where do the Steelers go from here after an embarrassing loss to the Kansas City Chiefs? And before we do that, please uh, do a search for at sad S-A-D. P-L-A-N-T-Z-A-R-T, Sad Plants Art. That's my daughter who's making some of her artwork available via NFTs. So look for that, Sad Plants Art, and also big up to Great Dads versus everybody. But, Neil, enough of me. I want to open up the floor, and typically we look at a number to describe this game. I have a very interesting number because I think it really illustrates just how bad this game went. I thought the game would be maybe about 30 to 17. That was my prediction. I got it right on the Chiefs side because they had 30 plus points. But uh I, you know, needless to say, the Steelers with the garbage touchdown hit double digits at the end of the game to Deontay Johnson. Uh so Neil, what number in your opinion, most reflects this particular game and the outcome? You know, I dug into this, Lance, and I wasn't exactly sure, but uh, the one number I came up with to describe this game is suck because really (laughs) there was nothing remotely positive about this game. Um, It's not often that you lose by 26 points at the NFL and the score is not indicative of how one-sided it was. It it, it was that bad. Um, They didn't do anything well. Uh, they, they they didn't show up. I mean, like I said at the beginning, we, we can have this conversation about several games this season. This one sticks in my craw, I think, probably more than anything, because really I, I became disinterested 
um, after the opening drive, which didn't look good for the Steelers at all. Um, after the Chiefs opening drive, the Steelers had punted and then the Steelers turned it over on their next one. And you knew it was over at that point. It, it, they, they didn't compete in this game. They had no chance uh, from, a, a you know, a, a pretty early start. And the Chiefs did not have Travis Kelsey. Um, it doesn't get much worse and, than and, that. You know, and they had a Tariq Hill who clearly they, was running a 4-4, not his they, normal They only gave Hill the ball twice. They, they threw the ball twice to Tyreek Hill in this game. They got shredded by something called Byron Pringle. I thought Derek Gore was the guy who caught that deep pass at the end. I thought that was Frank Gore. I really did. Um, <laughs> his nephew. We, we've seen Nicole Hardman, but come on. If these guys – how about this? If you really want the number, the one I was I was truly going for before the, the big – dunk shot that I tried was the fact that the Steelers had five receivers with more than one catch who averaged under 10 yards a catch. Wow. And the Steelers had one receiver with more than one catch that averaged over 10 yards a catch. That was Chase Claypool with four catches for 10.3 yards. You're not doing anything offensively if you can't get the ball down the field. Um, I, I, whatever the game plan was, I the Steelers didn't execute anything well. And there's just nothing redeeming about this game at all. It, there, there's not even really much of a point dissecting uh, more than what we saw. Nobody played well. Um, I've said all year, Ben is not coming out of the game. It was pretty obvious that Ben was going to come out of this one. That's how bad it was. And I'm glad you said that because that leads me to my number. And big up the Steelers freak and big up to everybody that's hopped onto the chat and Steelers freak put up a decent stat here or a good stat here. Six games with no TD in the first half, which is the worst since 1940. I mean, that, that sounds like a joke. That that <laughs> is score for Steelers that freak. Freak, do oh, me a favor. God. Please confirm that number and send us the, the source of that number because, like Neil I've, said, I've seen it. I don't. I, I'm sure it came from the Steelers. Well. Not sure the Steelers stat department would want to look that up, but um, I, I've seen it around a couple of places, and it absolutely feels like that's the case. I didn't it, verify it myself, but it that's, seems legit. You know, you know what the incredible thing about that is is that the way the NFL is designed now, in terms of the rules and the way defenses play in the National Football League overall, defenses will give you completion. They'll just give up completions. They'll give up certain completions. They don't want to give up big plays, obviously, in the passing game. So there are a ton of completions that you can get in a game to set you up to score a touchdown where you get in the red zone, you confuse them, you scheme up something nice, you, you get a weakness, you get your best guy on a bad guy or a backup or a sub, they make a mistake, or you just get a guy that makes a great play, you score a touchdown. You should fall into a touchdown in a half. Like, you should just yep. fall into a touchdown. It, it shouldn't be th – there's no way to have six games with no TD in the first half. That, that's the thing. One game, okay, I get it. You, you can have a rough half. Two games, you're in a pretty bad slump. But three is compelling. Twice that, you've got some serious problems in, in every area of your offense. And I think that's the best way to describe Pittsburgh, at least what we've seen of them since uh, basically the Lions game forward uh, has been a, a dreadfully ineffective offensive team. Um, 
if we want to line up everybody's single file and, and distribute blame that way, we, we can start with the offensive coordinator. I know that everybody does. We said at the beginning of all of this, Lance, Matt Canada is not coming in to save this team. They're not good enough. They don't have talent. They're calling plays, in my opinion, that fit their talent with the exception of, and highlight this comment, that fourth and one call was infuriating to me. And anybody who has watched this show and seen me on this knows I'm not somebody that makes a huge deal out of play calling. I get the value of it. I take it in a vacuum. Uh, or I, I should say I take it collectively throughout the game. Or you they, take there are a, independent issues yeah, that you look at. Yeah. You take but, it from the perspective of, of most play calls aren't successful. They set up other stuff. It, it's it's the whole painting. You know, looking at one right. play call is sort of like looking the cor- looking at the corner of a painting before the painting is done. You're like, right. what does that it's, look like? But when you see it all together, then it to makes do sense. a lot of things with every call. But at right. the same time, your specialty downs, the, the the real situational football downs, fourth and one is absolutely one of them. A weak side toss to Najee Harris is probably close to the bottom of calls I would have made in that situation. Najee Harris is not fast, okay, Mike Tomlin? <laughs> he is not fast. I don't give a rat's ass how many yards he ran for at Alabama. He is not fast. That has been the problem with him his entire career. He didn't break plays in college. He's not going to beat an NFL defense to the edge. You don't even have a tight end out in front blocking it. To say nothing of the fact that nobody was out there. Wait it was minute, ridiculous. Wait a minute, wait a he he ran deal. sideways to the, the <laughs> sideline. It looked like a and, Pop Warner game. And you know why he had to run sideways to your point about the tight end? And, and I'm going to get to my number because Neil talking about Ben coming out is a perfect segue to the number that I'm going to give that best describes this game. When they ran the play and Mel, big up to Melvin, Mel pointed it out as well. What the hell on fourth and one? And we toss a run sweep and no one was lined up to the left side of the center. The QB sneak gets a first down. I mean, to that point, when they ran the play, because I'm watching the game afterwards on the 45-minute NFL game pass. So watching it when you know the outcome is a little bit different. You're not as emotionally invested. So I wasn't throwing TVs or throwing <laughs> shoes at TVs when I saw the call. But all I did was Just, laugh because when they ran it, awful. there were like six Chiefs literally yeah. Yeah. <laughs> horizontal to the line of scrimmage waiting for Najee Harris. And no disrespect to Najee Harris, but the one thing he is not is fast or elusive. Najee Harris is a magnet, and tackles are metallic objects. They are drawn to him, and he gets hit by multiple people every time he carries the football. So you need someone elusive in that situation, or you just need to sneak it. That was a terrible call. That was just you need, indicative. You need to do something other than trying to make a defense move laterally against a, a, a non – he's not fast. I, I can't say that enough. At the very least, on a stretch play on the short side of the field, to weak side, what you're trying to do is outrun them to the corner. There is no way Najee Harris is going to do that. And say hello he's to my a Civil daughter. War running back. into the picture in the background here. It's a Civil War running back. Yes, that's He's good. a Civil War Coin running that one. back. Coin that North one. and South. Civil War guy. He does That's not he have is. the he does not have the speed or the athleticism to outflank NFL defensive ends 
on a fourth and one play and you put him six yards behind the line, you're asking him to outrun guys. He's got to run like 15 yards to get to that spot. It was dead from the beginning. My reaction, the second I saw the ball going to him was, oh, for fuck's sake, you've got to be kidding me. There, there's no way that's going to work. There is no way that was going to work. And I'm sorry, Marcus J. I'm laughing at Marcus J. He said, you guys are wrong. He makes people miss all the time. Maybe the fourth tackler misses. But by the time he should we misses look at, someone... Yeah, should we look at some numbers? Let, let's talk about making guys miss, all right? Because hey, well, it seems like it up. takes all of his effort to make one guy miss, and then the four others that walk up to him and jump on him put him down where he lies. That's why he averages 3.5 a carry. Like it, Melvin said, downhill runner, old pro eye backfield, 46 or 45 power. Like he's a straight between the tackles. Uh, and Steelers yeah. freak said more like the war of 1812. I'm but, thinking just World War One. <laughs> but he is a Western front. He's a Civil losing. War running back. He's absolutely a Civil War running back. Let me give you my number. Because when you were talking about, you know, how Ben Roethlisberger, and we talked about it, that was the deal that was made between the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger for the redoing of the contract was he was going to play all the time. So it was significant to see Ben Roethlisberger mm. come out the game. Uh, and so my number is, 10, the number of snaps that Mason Rudolph got in the game. Mason Rudolph got 10 snaps, 14% of the offensive plays. That's my number. And when you see Mason Rudolph get into a game in which Ben Roethlisberger is healthy, that might be the worst game of the year. That's the white flag. It didn't happen much throughout his career. That did not happen much. Oh, that's the white games. flag give up game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the the flip side of this is probably what's most fair and realistic. Uh, this should have happened multiple times um, at, at different points uh, to date. Not saying that I wanted that or it, it's helping anything, but they've been in the situation that Rudolph came in a, a couple times this year and they didn't do it. Fine. I mean, it, it's I don't think it, it's not telling. It's not saying anything. I just mean that. It, it happened for it finally happened. You know, they, they finally got to this point. That's where they are right now. And that we got to that feeling of this game very quickly into it. They never competed in this game. It's just like the Cincinnati game. Didn't compete from the first snap of the ball uh, um, throughout the rest of the game. 4.5 yards <laughs> an attempt for Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, my God. And that, that and that leads me to. Wes Hickok statement. Big up, Wes. Longtime listener. Thank you, Wes, for all the support over the years. And Wes said, good God, no heart last night at all. And, and this is one thing I don't do. And, you know, as a longtime boxing fan, I never question boxers that go in the ring and get destroyed because the heart that it takes to get into uh, the ring, even to get knocked out and starched within 30 seconds, the fear, the anxiety, all that that you deal with to get in the ring is significant. So I put respect on their names, even if you're a trash boxer. So I, I don't think the Steelers, I don't think it's a lack of heart. What I think is, for the fan base, I think it's unrealistic expectations. You know, I was just riling people up on Twitter last night. For the fan base, I think a lot of it is unrealistic expectations in terms of what this team is. And I get it. That's part of being fan being a fan is that the glass is always half full, not half empty. So you go into, 
you know, you go into games with the thought that things are going to be positive and things are going to be good. And and at least your, your team will at least give the Joe College try or effort, whatever it is. But sometimes you're just not that good. Your expectations are off, and another team is better. You know, you're, you're better. you know, you're playing a team that I believe, you know, you know, won what seven, eight games in a row was the number one seed in the AFC. I mean, seven games, but eight if you count the scrimmage they played yesterday. So you you were going against a hot team on the road late in the year. The disheartening thing is they destroyed the Steelers without their two of their best offensive players because Hill basically wasn't there. They destroyed them with other guys. And it wasn't like they just threw it over their head. It was just kind of like seven on seven. We'll just run our stuff. You know, no pressure. I think the Steelers got one sack in the game. Uh, TJ Watt uh, didn't have any impact on the game. I think they maybe got one sack from Cameron Hayward. Where you know they they played the Steelers as if you know, uh, we, you know we don't have much to worry about in this game. High Smith yeah. and indeed and, and, and Hayward played in this game. They looked comfortable the whole game. That that was the disheartening thing for me is that, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment. Is where do the Steelers go from here in the 2021 season? Because when you looked at this game. It's sort of like, you know, in sports, a lot of times when you think you're really good or you're a good team and you're blossoming, sometimes you get that you get that game where you get a comeuppance and you realize, damn, we ain't really that good. Like, wow, we just got reminded. They got reminded last night of the difference between the number one seed and a team competing for a Super Bowl and where they're at. They're in two different distinct places. So with that said, looking at the playoff picture, and as we jump into this definition of a foundation of where they can go from here, look at, to, look at the playoff picture. Uh, the Steelers right now are sitting at the 11th seed. Is there any way in your mind they may be split these last two games, scratch and claw um, their way into the playoffs? And is it more beneficial for them to make the playoffs or or to, even if they don't, like is it more beneficial if they play one playoff game, get smashed as opposed to not going? Is there any benefit in that? I think learning to win starts with effort. Um, playing to win helps teach you how to win. Um, making the playoffs becomes kind of a, a I won't say artificial, but that's not necessarily the, the, the only indicator of growth as a team. We knew mm-hmm. this team was going to fall off this year. The fact that they are still mathematically alive for the playoffs, in my opinion, is more the result of a division that can't separate itself. The only yeah, the the only global truth of the AFC North this year is that the Bengals are going to kick the hell out of the Steelers or the Ravens if they ever play. Beyond that, you have no idea what you're getting from any of those teams any week. So, making the playoffs shows that they were good enough to to basically walk and stand on the edge of where all the good teams are. 
Are they going to do anything in the playoffs? Absolutely not. There's no way. I, I don't, you know, to put it mildly, they're not going to win a playoff game. I don't think they're going to go to the playoffs. I never thought they were going to go to the playoffs. Yep. Learning that, though, through effort and not through um, this, this completely overblown and misleading idea generated by fans that the difference between your spot and the team three picks ahead of you is a Super Bowl in two years. It is complete and total nonsense. You're drafting basically one, 15, or you're in the 20s. All right. There, there are precipitous drop-offs in the availability of talent in an average draft. And even with that, the draft is specific to what you need, not to what the global population right. has available to it. You draft for one team. You do not draft for the league. You do not draft for the players. You draft for your team. Okay. Kendrick Green, we're going to bring it up, who is apparently the bane of all existence. He's so bad. He's costing the Steelers five, six games this season alone. He was drafted in the third round, not the first. Okay. Kendrick Green, Creed Humphrey. Yes. These guys were both available in, in uh, the first two rounds of the draft to compare the two as if they're equal because one was on the board and we, we didn't take him and you waited and you took another guy is at the same time, Refusing to accept there were several players probably better than Kendrick Green that they did not take in the second round. That's why Kendrick Green was taken in the third round. Okay. He's not a second round player. Don't say you could have drafted Creed Humphrey and you didn't because you wanted Kendrick Green in the third. That there's nothing factual to base that on. What I know is even if they had Creed Humphrey, a left handed center who a lot of quarterbacks don't like dealing with. Even if they had drafted Creed Humphrey, if that was the case, they would not have a, a, a reasonable tight end. And that would be a position they'd need to address this year. Sexy tanking, Lance. What did they feel that they needed immediately? That's what they took. Somebody had to be the odd guy out. You don't have enough premium picks. So that the constant uh, re-evaluation of the draft, and, and pun intended, centering the world around Creed Humphrey is intellectually garbage it's just it's simply not an issue they needed a tight end they needed a center which one would you rather have an elite player at tight end or center i'd rather have a tight i'd rather have a tight end okay if you're arguing with me about that i'm sorry you don't know what you're talking about nobody is going to disagree with that you can find good centers in free agency all the time if they really have a problem with kendrick green despite the fact that his first year offensive line coach is clearly in over his head and isn't going to have a job next year. All right. Can we get into that a little bit? Or we're probably going to just briefly though, Adrian Clem is connected to the Oregon job uh, that, that's available. You do not leave an NFL position coach job for the same position coach job in college, unless you're not being asked back. Okay. So he's essentially getting fired. They're removing him. Okay. Part of that is perhaps because Kendrick Green has been an abomination to mankind. Dan Moore doesn't look like he belongs out there either. But the reality is they didn't have much of a choice. Okay. Creed Humphrey, who apparently now is Dermani Dawson all of a sudden, he is not going to come in and fix that offensive line. Whoever they would get in, in the hypothetical situation, whoever they would get to replace Kendrick Green is not going to solve the offensive line. They need a lot of things. Green is just the scapegoat currently. 
I don't think Trey Turner's very good. Okay. He's not playing well. The, the savior of everything, PFF's hero for Steelers fans, Kevin Dotson, he's not, he didn't do all that great. Okay. Dan Moore shouldn't have been playing at all. It's almost cruel to keep him out there at this point. He's not any good. It's not just Kendrick Green. He's just the guy that you guys see and you see somebody on Twitter take a, a pot shot at and, and run with that as if that's the entire story. There are problems with all five players. There are problems with depth and there's problems with coaching. They're going to address all of those things. And that was always something they were going to do. So let's not act as if every time you draft a center, it means he's expected to be your starter for 10 years. That's just not feasible. You, you can't look at it like that. They probably need to address the position, in my opinion. I, I think they need to bring in a veteran. Uh, I, I feel that that's something they're going to look at. I think that's an option that should be available to them if they review all of it. But there are a lot of things that they need to do uh, that, that are not just about Kendrick Green. And I want to speak to some of the comments that Frank Manfredi is making. And welcome, Frank, to the show. And he's making a comment that look at the last Steelers three centers and look at this guy. We can't throw to a tight end when there are three guys living in the backfield. I remember Sean. He, he was there. The other guy. Um, what's his nuts? Um, Hartwig. Justin Hartwig. Yeah, he wasn't Justin Hartwig. Yeah. Like, they, they, so, people act like I, they're they're rolling off Hall of Fame players. Pouncey was not a Hall of Fame player. The, the other thing I say is, and uh, we're just having a little bit of technical difficulty with Neil. Um, the one thing I also say is, and Neil, we got you back. Just a little technical difficulty. Sorry about that, listeners. The one thing also is, fans have, as fans, we have no patience either. There is a possibility that next year, Kendrick Green with a new offensive line coach, and we're going to get into where they go from here and how do they move forward. Maybe he's better. Maybe he's just not playing at his natural position, and he has to play that because that's what the situation is. Um, this is a rebuilding team. This is a sexy tanking team. So, you know, what happens if Kendrick Green somehow is better next year as a result of all of these experiences. I think the only thing that's th that is scary about his play this year is he's actually regressing. You don't see you don't see him improving. Um <laughs> and Mel made a nice I comment. I think I did. Honestly, Mel exploded the Wi-Fi. I might have. I love it. it gets on a good rant. But let me jump into this question about where do they go forward? And me and Neil were talking about the word foundation and the definition from Webster's. There's a couple of definitions. The first is the lowest load bearing part of a building, typically below ground level. But that that's a good reference to. And the second definition, kind of the one we'll probably focus more so, but it could be both, though. An underlying basis or principle. This idea is the foundation of all modern economics. And I think we've all concluded that even if they do go to the playoffs, and there's the value there, we've talked about it. You know, your work is informed. Okay, this is the level of work that got us to this point. We can add to it. We could do some things smarter or better. It lets us know that some of the pieces that we've put in place might be good enough to compete and answer some questions and inform some of your work. So it's a good thing. 
But moving forward, when we talk about this definition of foundation, and I'm going to give you my perspective first. Well, actually, I'm going to get Neil's perspective first. On foundation, when you look at an organization and you look at a franchise, it's composed of different things. Front office, you've got the team, you've got the business itself. Foundation. When you think of foundation of a football team, where does that lie for you? Does it start on the coaching side? Does it start with the team? Where is it? Where is it for you just from the 60,000 foot perspective in terms of foundation? Foundation to me is you have commitment, you have buy-in. And a large part of that is from a front office perspective, you have a good plan. You're, you're moving towards something specific. And oftentimes that's the best part of a plan. It is a direction. You are deciding to do something um, definitively. Okay. That to me means you've got a good core of young players on cheap contracts. You've got good veterans who are leaders uh, that you can build on. They're not selfish. Um, maybe, you know, not making a huge amount of money, but they're there for the commitment of the team. And you believe in that. They believe in that direction as well, that the general management ownership is, is laying out for everybody. When you have that, you can build on it. It's not easy to build on it. It's not easy to get it. But when you have that, that's when you can move forward. And I hate to say this because it's going to piss off Steelers fans. I see Cincinnati as the team that has that. And I've ripped on Cincinnati plenty for not being able to win non-emotional games for them. And that, that's going to be a problem too. for them. They're going to need to figure that out. I am not a fan of Zach Taylor's. I really think that keeping him was, I, I don't think it's going to work out well for him in the long run. Wouldn't be the guy that I would want leading the team. I don't think he's at the point that he can direct this beyond what he has. But I also think that Joe Burrow is a future two, three-time MVP. He's that good. And we're seeing that up and down now. He is leading that group. He is built. He is the, the centerpiece of their foundation that they're building. They're adding the right pieces to it. They did a phenomenal job in free agency. So they've hit in that regard. They hit in the draft. We can get into their coaching issues at another time, but it, it appears that they have the right kind of foundation uh, that, that's coming together. Now, at the same time, I might have said something similar about the Browns last year, and I'll admit that I was probably not right about that, but uh, we'll, the jury is still out there. <laughs> but they got Baker okay? Mayfield, they're, which kills all foundations. Maybe, um, you know, that's it, it, it's that's hot and cold. It's it's a lot harder to argue with that today. Okay, um, Mayfield was hurt for a good chunk of the season. Let's keep that in mind. You know that that's it's hard to do the things he's doing with the injuries that he had up to this point. And I think things have just kind of gotten away from them now. But I was a big fan of their of the the coach that they brought in. Most specifically, I was a big fan of their decision five minutes after hiring the head coach to hire the offensive line coach and not let the head coach make that decision on his own, bring in somebody uh, qualified to do it. That is exactly what the Steelers need to do next season. To me, <clears throat> excuse me, that is a part of the what? foundation. You need let me, to have. Let me, stop, let me stop you there before you get into specifics, because I think you hit on something. And, you know, when I think of foundation, I think it first starts with the organizational side. Yep. And I think you have to have, I think the foundation starts with, and I'm going to use the analogy of the house. So we're going to use the first definition and we're going to integrate the second definition as well. 
If you want to build a house, probably the most important decision of building the house is selecting the right contractor and subcontract subcontractors. If you yeah. don't have the right contractor and the contractor in this case, in my opinion, of course is the Roonies, but you know, they don't do football stuff is the GM coach aspect that that's the contractor. The subcontractors, in my opinion, are the assistant coaches. Now you, you talked about Clem being over his head. We've talked about Matt Canada, some of the coaches, I think right now the foundation. So when you look at the contractor and the subcontractor, the contractors make the overall plan. They are the foundation. They draw the blueprint. They do all that stuff. And the subcontractors, along with the head coach, help execute that plan. When you look at the foundation of the Steelers from that perspective, is that foundation sound in your opinion? Um, it, It's impossible to say that it is. You know, I don't think there's any way we can discuss what we have seen this year in a way that isn't um, they got away with really weird wins, like against the Titans. Uh, they had um, nail biting wins largely on the strength of individual players, i.e. TJ Watt. That to me, isn't a, a, a foundational step. That was more, they, they have some dudes, you know, it's not just like they're, they're, starting from scratch here with a rookie under center, like they're, they're Jacksonville. Um, I think they have good upper management. I think they have a good head coach. And I think that head coach, uh, his, his, you get the best from Mike Tomlin when the talent isn't very good. Um, we can argue when the talent is really good, maybe we don't get the best from Tomlin. Maybe it's not really what he's there to, you know, that's not his uh, uh, greatest accomplishment. You know, he's not necessarily the coach you're thinking of if the team has a 14 and two roster to be able to close it out. You know, he's the guy that is, is going eight and eight, nine and seven, 10 and six previously uh, with rosters that look more like six and 10, you know, I, I, Tomlin okay. gets the most out of lesser talented players. And that's why what we're seeing, in my opinion, what we're seeing is a team that played multiple games this season, like they're picking in the top three, multiple games this year. Yes. Yet they're yes. going to finish with at least seven wins and maybe eight. It's not impossible. They might pull out a non-losing season from this. Um, that is Tomlin in my mind. It's the coach that you probably need right now if you don't believe in just tanking for a year which you and I have talked about this. We don't, I, I don't think it wins anything. It doesn't help you in, in, in any way. Um, they have foundational issues that they need to address. Um, at the same time though, I really think it's unfair to have this conversation without at least acknowledging they're playing with Joe Jack from down the street on their defensive line right now. Monday. They are playing with scrub nobodies in their front seven outside of a guy named TJ Watt who has a hip injury, a knee injury, and broken ribs. All right. He's not going to do much. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And we saw that yesterday. He's out there, but he's not going to do anything. He's not going to be a difference making player. If you have that along with Cam Hayward having played 
110% for 14 consecutive games, he has very little left. And there is nobody picking up the slack. Nobody. So um, right now, you're so not right going to win much with that. So right now, you would say that Mike Tomlin is the ideal coach for a rebuild. He's the guy that's going to get the most out of the talent. And I, and I love where people are going with uh, the, the comments here when we're, we're, we're using this metaphor of foundation. Because Grayson said, and to my point about selecting the subcontractor, the contractor and the subcontractors, he posed the question, uh, before that land, you have to select the proper land which to build on. And my question to him was, in our metaphor, and charmingly sophisticated chimed in and said, perhaps the land could be the philosophy on how to structure the foundation. It, so when you look at the land and this whole analogy and the foundation of the house, are the Roonies the land or is the land the plan, the overall plan? Because I love your point about Tomlin is maybe Tomlin isn't the Phil Jackson coach where you yeah. have Jordan Pippen, you have Tony Kukoc, Ron Harper, you have Dennis Rodman, and, and, and you win, or the Pat Riley, where you've got thoroughbreds, and you're steering them in the right direction and letting them go and, yeah. and, and managing in that way. And Steve Kerr, to a certain, to a certain extent as well, as another example, in terms of the subcontractors, and we'll get to this question about the land, and thank you, Charmingly Sophisticated, as for chiming in. Make sure you like and subscribe to the program. Do they have the right subcontractors? A lot of chatter on Twitter, and it happens every week, and, and, and we know that that's going to happen. As fans, we get emotional. Is Butler the right guy? Is Matt Canna the right guy? Or... Are we going to see positional coaches get changed out other than Clem? I think that's an excellent question. I, I would say this. Um, I Here's what I have heard um, from within the Steelers organization. This is absolutely something they're not going to, to it, cop to or admit to. Mike Tomlin does a great job of being the shield for everything. Um, he's the meat shield, the guy that's going to take the, the upfront criticism and abuse while everything operates behind him the way that they want to do it. They don't tell you what they're doing. OK, no NFL team really reveals much about how the secret sauce is being made. What I have heard is basically since 2016, Tomlin has been the one handling the defensive play calling. In that, what that says is. If what Keith Butler is doing as the, the defensive coordinator is worthy of him being terminated, what does that say about Mike Tomlin? So you've got kind of a, a right. you know, you hooked your plow to this mentality going on. Um, it does raise a fair question, though. If it's not Butler, then are you going to tell me that it's Tomlin? Do you want to keep doing that? Why does Butler need to be there in the role that he is in? And I think on, on one hand, you can say well, he's coaching the linebackers, um, it, drawing up the concepts and, and helping teach it is vastly more important overall than calling it on game day. People think that it's maddening. You just plug in all these plays that right. they learn telepathically at some point. That's what practice is. They are teaching. 
They are going over things. They are drawing stuff up. That's what a coordinator is doing, okay, and making sure that all these things are being done. The position coaches are working directly with the players. When a head coach is calling the plays, you still have a coordinator who's putting all of it together. So there is a relationship between Butler and Tomlin that they're they're obviously working together. If one is a problem, then both of them are a problem. Right. So perhaps by you know, proxy, yeah, by perhaps proxy. that eats that that kind of tells you a little bit about what they may or may not do. At the same time, um, I I don't know how much of this season defensively we can really blame on X's and O's because once again, you're looking at garbage in their front seven. They have never been this thin in their front seven. They have nothing left. There is nothing left there. Um, this is Cam Hayward's most admirable season. In my opinion, if this ever, the good Lord blesses me enough to ever have this, if I get a, pro, uh, a Hall of Fame vote, I'm pounding the damn table for Cam Hayward. If, if for no reason, look at what he has had to do this season. It's insane. The, the amount that he has to do for this team to even be bad is ridiculous. If he wasn't there, oh my God, they would be giving up everything. Okay. This isn't even a running league, Lance. Do you realize that? No. Teams I don't. don't run the ball. <laughs> they just do against Pittsburgh and they shred them every single week. To that They're point. Awful, to awful that point. Defensive team. They run it. Teams run it about 28 times against the Steelers, which in a which that number is obscene. It is just insane that teams run it that much. That means, you know, you're basically terrible. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just what it does. So, that's it right there. I mean, you're just terrible. You're, you're terrible stopping terrible. a run. Yeah, what about I Kevin agree. Colbert? What about Kevin Colbert? Well, here, here's, let me, let me ask and, and this Mel, first. Let, let me just put as, as the contractor. So we're saying Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin, the Steelers are solid there. And th- their foundation is solid there moving forward as the two general contractors, GM, head coach. That foundation is solid. Are we also saying that the two top coordinators, that that is solid as well and that the issue might be at the position coaching level as they move forward to re-solidify this foundation? Is that what we're saying? I think you have a coaching staff that has been assembled over the last two years in a very deliberate and very specific manner. What I mean by that is Tomlin and Butler are the only two on that staff uh, that's not true. Uh, prominent ones, anyway. They have changed out most of their position assistants over the last two seasons. Most of those guys are either in their first year or their second year with this team. Uh, Jerry O is still there. Uh, Butler is still there. I think there was another one at one point that I looked at. But by and large, they have a completely new coaching staff. And that is also a part of the sexy tanking theory. I feel they were building for this for time now. I think they saw that this is probably inevitable. Not, you know, they're going to try. They're going to put their best foot forward and try to win, but you can see the writing on the wall. They also changed out their cap guy. Keep that in mind. They are undergoing an organizational shift from what they were doing, and I think it was high time to do that. Um, The results of that, I think we can say, might be kind of mixed. I don't think they planned on, on Richard Mann not being there anymore. I think Daryl Drake was a tremendous loss for them. He's not somebody they were going to get rid of. So you you have other events that come in that affect that foundation. But they very deliberately uh, changed out their position coaches to to get into the position that they're in right now. I don't think any one of them can honestly say what they did this year was outstanding. 
at the same time, I'm not putting 100% of the blame on them. And I'm also not saying that we need to decide whose head needs to roll for all of this. Somebody asked earlier in the questions, what about Kevin Colbert? What about him? He's just as guilty as everybody else. This is a bad football team right now. At the same time, though, we've been telling you all year, this was inevitable. This was going to happen. I didn't say that in the sense that they're doing it because Kevin Colbert sucks and he has no idea what he's doing. I'm saying it because they didn't have much of a choice. They didn't have options. They did the best that they probably could do, and they're going to finish pretty much exactly where I said they were going to finish. And it's not because they're terrible. It's because they didn't have much of an opportunity to build the team the way that they want to. At the same time, you've got six rookies that play a substantial amount of time in this team. You've got a full complement of draft picks minus the cursed fifth round pick that they hate so much. They, they trade every year, three years out now. They are able to bring in more players to fit with where they're trying to go as a franchise. They need to identify a quarterback. I know that. There are other positions that they need to address. I, I always thought this was the year they were going to go after the offensive linemen because offensive linemen are kind of expensive. We're going to see moves, not Joe Haig moves, real moves on the offensive line this season. We're going to see them uh, invest in immediate players, probably in the first and second round. And we're going to get a better sense of what the real plan of this team was. It's a mistake, though, to act as if this was not put in motion previously. So the foundation was built, Lance, to your exact point. The position coaches they brought in, I think, were brought in because they wanted to get younger, because they were going to be playing a lot younger in two years, which is where they're going to be next year, when they are probably one of, if not the youngest team in the NFL. That's interesting that you say that. And so I think what we're saying is we're looking at, when you look at the assistant coaches, you got Eddie Faulkner, I kill your, we're looking at Adrian Clem being out. Um, Alfredo Roberts, the tight end coach. Mike Sullivan is the quarterback coach. Chris first year, Morgan. First year. And keep um, in mind, too, Alfredo Roberts replaced James Daniels, who I think was the tight ends coach the first year the tight end was invented in the NFL. That guy's been around forever. You know, he retired. Good for him. I wish him well. They wanted to get younger because they needed to. They needed to find players to, to play in a more modern NFL, and they found coaches that are probably closer to them in age than they ever have. They're all young guys, really. And you've got Grady Brown, who's new and uh, one year as a coach, secondaries coach, Carl Dunbar, who's regarded as one of Dun the best. Dunbar, I forgot about. And Dunbar's yeah. a fantastic coach. Nobody yeah, he's one of the best. Him. Yeah, and everybody talks. They laud him. I read an article recently about, you know, just the, the glowing things that T.J. Watt and other guys have said about Dunbar. So I think what we're saying is from, and we'll talk about this because I want to talk about this on the next episode of the show as well, because we're starting to run a little bit long is so we're saying that the foundation is solid on the organizational side with, with, with the general contractor in, in Colbert and Mike Tomlin and Clem will be moved out. But the, that piece is generally solid and the ownership group is solid as well with the Roonies. And so that foundational piece is solid, which gives them the ability to then move on. And to Grayson's point, and charmingly sophisticated, maybe that is the land. Maybe that's the land in which you build your football team on, is the solid organization. That metaphorically, if you don't have that solid land, which is your organization, which is your ownership group or your coaching staff, and so on and so forth, 
that you can't build that that's the floor to that first definition of foundation that that's that floor that solid floor plan that that's the land is you're building it on the organizational side in our next episode we'll talk about the foundational pieces on the team side on the player personnel side but before we get out of here neil um take a look at and i just want to digress a little bit um and your crystal ball if you're looking at your crystal ball right now because we're really late in the season you got a couple of games left um and, and we'll predict the the next game for the steelers i believe it's against the browns on monday night uh what's the best team Give me your uh, your AFC Championship and, and NFC Championship games um, if you were looking to a crystal ball. I know it's hard to predict. COVID is killing the league. Yeah, um, and so I, it's pretty I'm, hard I'm willing to, to bet there's going to be a, a dramatic and miraculous turnaround for COVID in the NFL right around mid-January. We'll, well you know, they're not testing anymore. anybody anymore. So. That's what I mean. They're just going to ignore <laughs> yes, it. Yes, so they've decided not to test. That <laughs> decided the this best isn't way. worth it. And maybe it wasn't the whole time. I don't know. They, they decided not to test and assume that everybody was asymptomatic when it wasn't the case. So, uh, you know. They collectively they're, they're, bargained that nobody has COVID. Yes. They're going to play the games. They're going to play the game. And, 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 and I don't want to put it all on the NFL before I get your NFC, AFC championship. What do you think that those games will be? It's not simply on the NFL. These decisions are made from the league side and the player side. The players don't want to give up checks. The players do not want to miss checks because of forfeited games. You might have forfeited games if the NFL said, if games are forfeit via COVID, that you'll get paid. Then you might see some different movement, so on and so forth. But the the owners want to get paid and the players want to get paid. Everybody wants their money. So if players can go out and play asymptomatic, but with, you know, as asymptomatic guys, they're going to do that so they can get those checks. I mean, it's just both sides, you know, making those tough choices. They all want to get paid. I mean, they're all capitalists. We're all capitalists. Guys want to get paid. Hey, man, where my money at? I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. But give me your AFC championship game as you see it. You know, Neil, be Neil Stradamus and give me what you think uh, your NFC and AFC championship games will be. I'm not going to be very creative or original with this, even though all signs kind of suggest to us that uh, something crazy is going to happen in the playoffs. But I I don't see Green Bay uh, getting beat by anybody in the NFC. And I would say talent-wise, the Rams are as good as anybody. Um, those are the two teams that I would look at probably above anything else um, in the NFC. Uh, it, it's We don't know what's going to happen. If I was predicting it now, I just think Green Bay is just going to be too much. Uh, I think Green Bay is going to the Super Bowl. I think Green Bay wins that game. Uh, I think Rodgers, unfortunately, um, is unanimous MVP selection. That's not even debatable anymore. Um, sucks. I don't like Aaron Rodgers, but uh, he's going to win that. The AFC um, I think you're seeing the exact same thing with Kansas City. Who's going to beat Kansas City now? Uh, we're, we're seeing now how uh, fragile New England is. While they've done, a, I think, an excellent job, and they're they're a very good team. They, they hit um, Bills put the screws to them yesterday. I think that little brother complex that the Bills have kind of uh, overcomes the 
I don't want to say chicanery from Bill Belichick, but Belichick unloaded a game plan on them. There's no way that Buffalo was was ready and prepared for. And that really caught Sean McDermott square in the mouth. He knows it. So he came out and they they beat him up pretty good yesterday. That that was a that was a bloodbath yeah. in a yeah, lot It of could ways. have been worse. They left at least six to nine mm-hmm. points on the board. Uh, they so, took him off the board. Yeah, so I want to stay in a way. I think that the Buffalo is probably the second best team. Um, but I don't know. You want to bet against Belichick in the playoffs? I don't. So I, do. it, I, I, I do. think uh, I, I would go with Kansas City and New England. Uh, yet again, that's an arrowhead, and I think Kansas City wins. And I think uh, right now probably Kansas City uh, to win it all would be the way that I'd go with it. You know, I'm going I'm to shock you on the AFC side. And there's one last Steeler topic that I want to talk about before we get out of here. Um, I'm going to go with Chiefs Colts in the AFC championship game. I don't know how this is going to work out with seeding. I'm just throwing it out there. I, I the like Colts, that. I the like Colts that. are the five seed. I think the Colts, if they can figure out a way to have Carson Wentz not lose games for them, <laughs> if, they can, if they can figure that out, I, I, I think they're going to go. They're going to go to the AFC championship. Because other than that, other than the Carson Wentz piece, they, they're ready to roll. I love the way they play. The way there's, I love their offense. I love what Jonathan Taylor's is doing. Taylor is doing. They get big plays. They just need him to not turn the ball over, and make the schemed up stuff that are layups. And sometimes he's missing the layups that he's got to make. If he can make the layups, got some bad ones. Got some bad. If ones. he if he can make the layups, they can be dangerous. NFC side. I think it's Green Bay and Tampa Bay. I think the Godwin injury is big. That hurts, is that hurts a big lot. for Tampa Bay. If Godwin was healthy, Tampa Bay is going to the Super Bowl. I'm still putting Tampa Bay. So I'm going Tampa Bay, Green Bay in the, in the NFC Championship. You give me Brady against Rodgers, I'm taking Brady all day, every day. Tom, yep. Tom he's proved that. Tom, when he when he plays against Aaron Rodgers, he, he tends to say, look, man, there's no debate here. I'm me. You're you. There are still different <laughs> levels to this. I'm me. You're Boy, you. I spanked Peyton before you were here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shake me a hell of different. Hey, can I yes. break in some can I break in with some news here, Lance? Yes, absolutely. Confirmed by CBS college football reporter Pete Thamel, Steelers offensive line coach Adrian Clem is departing for Oregon, where he will be the offensive line coach, run game coordinator, and assistant head coach. Talked to Mike Tomlin and is being let out today to start his new job. So the Steelers formally do not have an offensive line coach. And I would imagine uh, Chris Morgan will be uh, the interim offensive line coach for the remainder of this godforsaken, desolate season. And I don't like Morgan's chances of taking over next year. No, so, he will not. Um, That's... They, for the second year in a row, third year in a row, excuse me, the Steelers will be searching for a new offensive line coach. Yeah, and I'm sure there are a lot of fans on Twitter who will be raising their hands to be the offensive line coach. Uh, so that's basically Kick Rocks, guy. Uh, that's Kick Rocks. He's like, yeah, I know I'm not coming back. Let me just go ahead to Oregon. The weather's a little bit better. We can get started on this. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Um, his, his, his The bags were packed yesterday. They just announced it today. So like you said, and we went back and forth, 
yeah he, he did other. not that, that, he did that not weigh the done. Steelers offensive line coach job with the Oregon offensive line coach job along with the run game coordinator ever prestigious assistant head coach title uh, he was told to strongly investigate his options before the season ends because he's going to be out of a job very quickly um yes. that just that clearly just didn't work and it's you know what I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy i don't like to see people fail certainly not on my team i wish him the best uh but it, i don't think the i don't think the the situation matched uh, where he was as a coach you know here's a good thing for it for him is he got a chance to cut his teeth at the pro level and he will take these experiences to oregon and be a better coach i mean these are all learning experiences for coaches and so you know, he learned, and he'll be better for Oregon. And, and I'm sure Steeler fans will be like, dang, he went to Oregon, and the Oregon run game is fantastic. Why couldn't he do that for the Steelers? It's not apples and apples, oranges and oranges, whatever the, the saying is. That just happens. Let's close the show with this. DPOY debate. TJ Watt, what, 17 and a half sacks leading the NFL? Yeah. Does a game like this, where they get absolutely destroyed 36 to 10 and he has no impact in the game. Does, does this hurt his chances moving forward? Is the, is, is, is the, is the awards still open because this defense is bad. I mean, this is, this defense is bad. And my perspective has always been, you know, I, I would never give awards to teams that one don't make the playoffs. I'm kind of old school in that way. And two, a defensive unit that's pretty much trash. Uh, so, so does a game like this hurt his chances, in your opinion, to be defensive player of the year? Or is, is it an award that's just looked at individually? Like if you got a bunch of sacks or a bunch of interceptions, we don't care if you're 2-15. and 15. If you got 15 picks, you're going to be defensive player of the year. Is it that type of award? Because I, I would be. not give it to him because the defense is bad and the team is bad. I don't think on its face right now, TJ Watt um, is at a point where he's a shoe in by any stretch. I, I do think we have plenty of examples uh, in games where TJ Watt's presence and production um, propelled his team forward. I think his cumulative stats certainly point to a, a, the level of somebody that would be defensive player of the year. I think there are a lot of things that he has going for him, but the way he played Sunday, and I'm not blaming his level of play, he's clearly not healthy, clearly not healthy. And that, to me, only really suggests he's not going to have an impact next week either. Um, I don't know how many non-impacting games one can have and still be a defensive player of the year. But when Aaron Donald is in the NFL, it's a lot harder to, to be able to get away with that. Um, I don't know if there is a standout. So what that really says is there's going to be basically a runoff vote and whoever gets defensive player of the year is going to get nine of 50 first place votes, you know? So I, I, to me, I think that's kind of where Watts candidacy becomes legitimate. Uh, the best of what's left in a year that nobody really grabbed it and ran with it last year. It was obvious the top two candidates were Aaron Donald and TJ Watt. And to be honest with you, I've said, I've gone on record as saying this, it's not going to make Steelers fans happy, but I would have probably voted for Donald, but I also would have been fine 
I, I could see why either one of them would have won it. And the voters felt the same way. I think the first place voting went something like 27 to 23 for Donald. That That's a very thin margin. Um, I don't think anybody this year is worth 27 first place votes. And I don't think we're going to see a, a, a even a, a majority of uh, first place votes going to any candidate. I think Watt has certainly shown those bona fides. I think he, he has put up uh, that level of production at times, but if he's limping down the stretch, they're going to remember that. And to your point, it's hard to ignore while it, it shouldn't be defensive player of the year does not mean valuable player as an individual doing his job, his assignments, doing the things that he is supposed to do. He is an outstanding player. He is clearly one of the best in the league. I think he had did enough to be in the conversation. I don't where I sit now. I don't know if there is anybody better. Garrett has the same issues. He just hasn't produced as much. So I don't, right. I don't know who I would give it to in, in any strong sense right now anyway, but it is going to get in the heads of the voters that the Steelers defense has utterly collapsed uh, oh, yeah. over the last couple of weeks. So I, I, right where I sit now, I would think it's a toss up. He's going to get some first place votes. I would not guarantee right now that anybody would get more than maybe 15. Um, I, I don't know who that person is. Before we get out of here, I want to acknowledge this is this is and I put this post up at the end of the show. This is significant for us. We got a comment from Anahaknar Maknak, whatever this guy's name is. And he wrote <laughs> VUM.ONG. This is significant because we're reaching a larger audience. When you get these <laughs> weird comments on your show, it is significant. It means you're reaching a big enough audience that random spam actually cares about that you. Spam actually cares about <laughs> you. This is fantastic. Thank you, Amit Chaknar Maknak, with the vum.ong comment. Spam cares. Yes, we are growing. That is the encouragement that I needed for the 2022 season. We got spammed. Yes, just a, note, just a note for the listeners, please do not go to voom.ong. Voom.ong is not a show sponsor. Please, <laughs> disclaimer, if you type voom.ong in your computer, it may explode. So do not do that. But with that, we're going to conclude the program. Neil, is there anything you want to spotlight this week uh, for the site? You usually say no, so I stopped asking. But is there yep. anything on Steelers Wire that you want to that you want to draw listeners to for the week? I'll be honest with you, Lance. I barely know where I am in the world right now, let alone what's on Steelers Wire. So there I would go. say go check it out, please. Um, give it give it a look. Uh, I I really didn't read a whole lot uh, of this last night. There are a few network things that I have to do um, later in the evening on Sunday, and I was dead ass tired when I was done with that. I was in bed by like nine thirty or ten somewhere in there. Um, I did not feel the need to read any Steelers coverage after that game. <laughs> Sorry, Kurt. No offense. I didn't care. I didn't, you know, it, um, I'm sure the traffic reflects that, but uh, that happens in the NFL season. But go check it out. I'm sure there there are good perspectives on there. I think it'll be interesting to uh, get Kurt's take on the Clem news, which is significant in my mind. Um, most teams don't hire offensive line coaches three years in a row like that. Um, <laughs> a little bit different. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll see what direction they go here. The infamous P O P E Kurt Pope joy. 
So make sure you check out his fantastic work on Steelers Wire. But with that, we're going to get out of here. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. And happy holidays from the new standard from us to you. Thank you all. Good night.